Hi, welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Tom Solopik from Cross Asset Strategy. I'm joined by a bunch of my colleagues from the Asia research team. So let's hear first from, from Ting Ting, the China economist. Ting Ting, there have been a lot of policy measures rolled out, pretty wide variety, but it's a question of will they be enough? Will they bear fruit? Earlier in the year, we were thinking that maybe China wouldn't have to do too much to achieve its targets. There have been some things we've been hoping for as if, for instance, uh, before we only had citywide housing stimulus, and now we finally got some na nationwide housing stimulus. Is this going to be enough to turn things around? And what's your timeline for China's economic trajectory? Um, thanks so much for the question. Yes, we do have a lot of policy moves in China over the past two weeks. Um, but if we look at each individual of them, um, the policy impact is quite modest. For example, on the monetary policy front, uh, we have the policy recaps at uh, 15 BIP. We have the LPR card and also the uh, deposit reduction uh, in commercial banks. But according to our estimates, 15 BIP policy rate card will only translate into 0.03 percentage points direct contribution to GDP growth. So that is quite marginal. For fiscal policy, uh, we have the acceleration in the spatial LGB uh, assurance. Um, there was also a lot of uh, news report saying that China may have a grant scheme, uh, scheme for the local government hidden debt resolution. That is uh, 1.5 trillion spatial refinancing uh, local government bond assurance program. If the news is verified, um, that will be uh, enough to remove our fiscal drag forecast at 1.3 percentage point of GDP for this year. But we are not expecting um, China's fiscal policy will turn uh, stimulative or expansionary uh, this year. Uh, for housing market, we had a lot of uh, moves, um, including lower the down payment requirement, which is quite positive uh, because this is the first nationwide um, policy easing since 2015. And we think uh, compared to other um, policy measures, um, lower down payment requirement is more effective in supporting home demand. But for others, for example, lowering the mortgage rates for the second home mortgage and also the outstanding first home mortgages, as well as the relaxation of the first home definition. We think the um, policy impact of these measures, uh, either in terms of um, unlocking a new home demand or uh, boosting uh, consumption, uh, it will be uh, relatively uh, limited. Uh, so in that sense, uh, we think um, these um, policy moves um, can when not move the needle uh, that much, um, the aggregate impact of these policy moves will also be quite uh, modest. Even going forward, we do not have uh, any uh, bazooka-like um, stimulus package in our forecast. So for the uh, monetary policy, we are looking for a 25B triple cut uh, in the current month, um, which will be uh, supportive and for the uh, liquidity requirements uh, into the quarter end, as well as the uh, spatial LGB assurance and um, the market repricing uh, related uh, um, liquidity noises. And for the fiscal policy, uh, other than the reported uh, uh, spatial refinancing LGB um, program, 
Uh, we also have 750 um, billion yuan um, policy bank financing forecast in our fiscal outlook. If that happens, uh, it will be supportive to the infrastructure investment into the year end as well. Um, for housing policy, uh, it will be very important to monitor the home sales uh, recovery in September and uh, October. Um, if uh, we see some uh, recovery there, it will be a good news. But if we see like continued weakness in the home sales, uh, we may need uh, additional more aggressive easing measures such as the relaxation or removal of the home purchase restrictions, especially in the top tier cities. And so taking everything together, I think the policy moves in the past two weeks, uh, although none of them is bazooka-like stimulus, but intensified and also multiple macro industrial um, policy easing measures moving in the same direction and uh, still positive to support the market confidence uh, and the um, the, the sentiments. We think with the um, latest policy moves as well as the rating from the latest uh, August PMIs, uh, they will be roughly enough to offset the disappointment from the July activity data. So currently, uh, we are now seeing more balanced risk for our second half gross forecast. So that is 4.1% QMQ analyzed forecast for the third quarter and 4.5% for the fourth quarter. Um, so for the four year, our forecast uh, still stands at 4.8%. Thanks, Tingting. And, and one more question for you. I mean, sometimes we draw these comparisons with Japan back in the bubble days and, and uh, worrisome stats about housing affordability. And that raises questions about, you know, with the Japanese example, obviously you had a lost decades. Are, are those comparisons with China warranted? And does it make sense to make those comparisons with Japan at the top at way back when? Yeah, so we do have a lot of um, discussion around China's stratification uh, risk. Um, and we have been flagging that uh, China's current situation uh, do has a lot of similarity compared to the uh, Japan in the early uh, 1990s. For example, um, the first one is the uh, similarity in the housing markets. We know that China's housing market downturn uh, since 2021 is not only cynical but also structural, and that is um, quite similar to that in the Japanese uh, housing market in the 1990s. And another similarity between uh, China and Japan is the fiscal imbalance. So that is the pace of the increase and in the level of the uh, debt. Um, that is and not only the government debt, but also the total debt. Another similarity is around the population aging. So the uh, aging population ratio is pretty high, uh, close to 13% uh, of the total population uh, currently for China and uh, 1991 and for Japan. And lastly, that is on the external fronts, um, the uh, conflict always see the especially on the trade front with the U.S. So that was the case for Japan. And then now is the, it is the case for, for China. But there is also a lot of differences between China and Japan. Um, for China's disadvantages, uh, we do see that uh, include the uh, faster aging in China and also a more challenging external uh, environment uh, and also more limited um, policy room, either on the monetary or the uh, fiscal um, policy front. And there is also some relatively good news for China as well, uh, including a relatively lower urbanization ratio and also a larger uh, domestic market. There has been a lot of discussion about the uh, balance sheet uh, recession risk 
and that is whether China is now entering the phase of a balance sheet recession. So the short answer is no. Uh, we think a balance sheet recession is not a reality for China yet, um, because for China's case, the Chinese Chinese government uh, has adopted the strategy of protecting the housing price, but at the cost of a sharp correction in the uh, home uh, transaction volume. So that is in sharp contrast to what happened in Japan, uh, where the um, prices and the volumes fell simultaneously. And so as a consequence, we think the uh, macro imports and the macro cost uh, in China is relatively larger. Uh, but the benefit is that the financial risk associated with the asset price, especially the housing price, uh, is relatively under control. So in that sense, it also uh, suggests that it's very important, always critical for the Chinese housing market to stabilize. That is also uh, explaining why we are now seeing more aggressive uh, efforts uh, in the housing market as well. Uh, hopefully, we're going to and see some stabilization in home transaction and also stabilization in home price expectation going forward with the latest uh, home easing measures. But as we mentioned before, if we see more continued weakness, probably we may need more policy easing um, from the nationwide level to stabilize the housing market. So let's hear now from Tiffany Wong, China effect and rate strategist. Tiffany, it seems like the Chinese are taking a stand against further FX weakness, but at the same time, some of the policy measures, of course, do contribute to FX weakness, namely rate cuts. And at the same time, there's the question of how flows are, are helping or hurting China currencies. So I'd love to hear your, your take on the group's view of, of CNY, and then also maybe you could touch on your rates views as well. Yeah, Tom, I guess let me start from the FX part first, which the uh, directional bias for us is, is more clear. Um, for us, I guess, like many others in the market, we have been taking a relatively bearish view on the currency. Um, I guess that bearish view and also the recent dollar thing white weakness uh, is a combination of both some um, structural and cyclical headwinds. Uh, given the policy stimulus, uh, the it is like King King just alluded to, I guess part of that cyclical headwinds you can argue is probably moderating. But on the more structural part, which I mean the rate differentials and the negative carry, uh, I guess that still puts some uh, organic depreciation pressures for the uh, FX part. Uh, of course, we can see that uh, part of that is not really China idiosyncratic, given that uh, the global FX market uh, is subject to a broad headwind of the, uh, I guess, resumption of dollar strength recently, uh, which is fueled by the rising uh, U.S. yields and also the uh, narrative around the U.S. exceptionalism these days. Uh, so in a world like that, we see FX after the uh, either uh, demand uh, growth or carry. But unfortunately, I guess CY offers neither of that. Um, so um, being a low yielder uh, and also with some uh, growth risks lingering, um, I guess CY faces some like structural uh, flow imbalances. So on one side, we have been seeing the uh, demand for uh, outbound investment from onshore investors remain rather strong. Uh, for instance, like so we have already seen uh, around like 13 billion southbound equity outflows uh, since July. Uh, and also uh, the uh, outbound investment have also picked up uh, since last year uh, with the new uh, southbound bank net uh, scheme being put in place. Uh, additionally, uh, from the corporate side, uh, who contributes, I guess, to the largest part of China's um, 
BUP and also current count inflows, uh, they are holding off selling their dollars um, and the uh, because of the dollar rates uh, are relatively high and also hedging remains rather costly for them given the negative points uh, of this date. So we have done some uh, calculation on that. So based on our estimate, uh, the excess dollar savings from Chinese corporates uh, could have amounted to over $200 billion for the past year, uh, which basically reduced massively the current count support for the, uh, for the currency. Um, so while this onshore uh, dollar demand remains relatively strong, uh, on the other side, I guess we have also seen very limited foreign equity inflows this year. And also on the bond part, there's continued uh, foreign selling of Chinese bonds uh, after uh, last year's massive kind of selling spree. Uh, not to mention that the FDI inflows to China have also dropped to, to a multi-year low. Uh, of course, I guess the Chinese policymakers, they are making efforts to attract uh, foreign uh, investors, uh, which are constantly holding the key to balance China's uh, BOP flows. Uh, but I guess it remains a rather challenging task uh, because of the appealing returns from both uh, Chinese stocks and bonds, especially compared to the uh, global peers. Um, plus the looming concerns on the uh, geopolitical risk. And as foreign investors, they are likely to demand a much higher risk premium, uh, which we think the Chinese policymakers, they're probably unable or even unwilling uh, to offer at this stage. Um, so in that context, um, we think that without a meaningful return of the uh, foreign investor inflows, uh, the structural cross-border imbalances that I just mentioned uh, could be kind of a doable drag for the currency, and that remains at the core of our bearish CNY thesis. And if you take into account also the uh, potential lags in the dollar strength um, and the unfavorable external backdrop, uh, we think that the uh, risk uh, for the dollar CNY probably still buys the upside. Uh, of course, I guess the further dollar CNY weakness would need the PBOC to give the market some green light. Uh, we know that the Chinese Central Bank, they have been really uh, leaning against the um, uh, currency weakness quite aggressively this year. Um, they have been using the fixing biases and also the uh, other macro prudential measures like the very latest FX triple R cut. Uh, these tools, I guess, are, are now very well known to the uh, FX uh, market players. Uh, for the PBUC, I guess there's really a delicate uh, balancing act that they need to make these days. Um, so on one side, the large uh, gap between the uh, small dollars in Y and the fixed uh, point to some pressure for them to keep the FX moving uh, matters in place because any abrupt policy change, I guess, would risk a rather nonlinear gap higher in dollars in Y, which is not really desirable at this stage. Um, but on the other side, I guess if the PBC keeps really a, a hard line in the sand, uh, they could also risk a very passive appreciation in CNY, which uh, uh, especially when the dollar strength uh, like brings other currencies down. Uh, so that passive uh, strength in the CNY effect is also not really productive, I guess, for China's growth outlook uh, this year. So uh, I guess there on the policy, FX policy side, we, we think that some flexibility is probably warranted here. And for us, we don't think there's a particular level that the PBUs is defending. And if there's any, I guess that level is also dynamically changing. Um, the most likely part for us is still that the PBUC is probably going to be uh, gradually lifting the CNY fixing in a controlled manner, uh, which would mechanically indicate the higher ranges for dollar CNY given the 2% trading band limit. Uh, like this week, we have already seen the uh, CNY fix being lifted from the 
718 handle and today to the uh, 721 handle, which we think the uptrend is probably here to stay as long as the broad dollar strength is still with us. Uh, we are uh, currently uh, uh, underweight CYFX in our GBIM portfolio, and uh, uh, given the uh, the more uh, structural drag that I just mentioned, that we're happily holding on to that position. Um, just briefly on the rates part, um, uh, we are currently new to here. Um, I guess uh, for us, there's uh, still the uh, medium-term bullish factors, which currently intersect with some of the uh, short-term kind of bearish factors. So on one side, uh, as Cindy mentioned, that we're only forecasting probably a bounded growth wave to, uh, for China in the coming months. And there's also the buys that the PBC, they're probably going to keep rates lower for longer because of deflation risks and also the need for the uh, debt leveraging. And uh, these factors, I guess, should keep the medium-term upside risks and yields uh, relatively capped. Uh, and also, given the uh, relatively light foreign uh, exposure in China's bond market, I guess China's yields is uh, largely insulated from the core rate moves. And if you look at the yield curve, I would say like China rates currently um, screen slightly high against the policy rates, which indicate to us that after the uh, latest backup in yields, uh, some cyclical optimism is probably already in the price. But on the uh, other side, the short-term side, uh, because of the recent policy support, uh, uh, there is some sentiment shift underway, especially on the property sector. Uh, and plus that we also have the supply overhang coming in the uh, in the following weeks or months because uh, China still has about like 25% of their uh, annual quota on the LGBs and around like 6% of CGB quota um, uh, this year to be issued in the coming months. Uh, which means that the uh, issuance pressures is going to be relatively heavy compared to previous years. And the associated liquidity pressures, I guess, pointing to some technical upside risks being raised, uh, uh, which uh, we think that should probably not be easily discounted over the very short run. So net-net, uh, that basically put us in a neutral stance in China rates uh, for the time being. Great. Thanks, Tiffany, for that update. Now let's turn to, to Su Chung Lim, Head of Asia Credit Research. Uh, Su Chung, Given the headlines, how are the fundamentals of China credit holding up? Obviously, I think China credit fundamental is definitely under pressure because of all the you know uh, all the uh, problems that's popping up here and there. I mean, the one uh, one sector that's really under a lot of pressure is China property for sure, uh, and uh, that's have led to uh, you know the a shortfall in sales and also that uh, lead to a lot of the uh, property double that are uh, defaulting on their US dollar bond. I think so far. You can say that we have seen close to 50% of the China property bond they have defaulted over the last two, two years. And uh, you and in terms of market cap of China higher property, they used to account for 8 to 9% of the JP uh, uh, Morgan Asia Credit Index, and that have shrunk uh, to 0.8%. So that's give you a sense of the magnitude of things have changed uh, for this sector. And the, the problem at the China property is to some sense, I mean, have kind of spilled over to what's happening in the local government financing vehicle also. Uh, the local government financing vehicle are highly dependent on the support from the local government because their financial metrics tend to be weak. Uh, but now with the with a, a shortfall in the uh, in, uh, property, uh, and also the land sales, uh, that means that their capability to support the LGFV is actually much reduced. So that's another worry that people have. And also, right, uh, you know, over the last one to two weeks, I think the, the concern is that, you know, this problem also has spilled over to the trust loan business. And uh, 
these three, to some degree, is difficult to kind of distinguish what's the cause or, uh, or what's the consequences. It just uh, kind of reinforces this uh, sentiment on the, the whole sector. And uh, that is really dragging down uh, the, you know, the, the, the property and also the trust loan. And also, to some degree, it spilled over to the asset management company. Uh, that is actually uh, quite, uh, you know, dealing with the local government uh, financing vehicle and also dealing with the China property. Typically, those are the one segment that of the financial market that's under pressure. So, yes, I mean, the fundamental share is, is quite high. The only thing that's really kind of a beginning factor for uh, a lot of China uh, investment corporate is that a lot of this rating uh, actually, you can say that uh, anchored by the China sovereign, yeah, close to 60% of the China investment grade credit uh, is actually owned by the government. So for them, even if their central rating is under pressure, uh, eventually their final rating could still be uh, you know, anchored by the sovereign rating. And this is why the one reason that you know, in terms of the rating pressure are not there, although fundamental standalone fundamental pressure is definitely is building up for a lot of China corporate. Uh, obviously, there are certain segments that we have to uh, kind of cover what is the China uh, investment property. And the other one is probably the uh, asset management company. Those are quite uh, closely linked to the, uh, the, the the property sector and the trust loan. Those are the segments that's going to be under more pressure. But outside of that, a lot of China corporate, there are fundamental, uh, uh, you know, pressure is there, but the uh, rating will still be uh, uh, anchored because of the sovereign rating. Given this link between China IG and the sovereign rating, I'm worried that the sovereign rating will change. Uh, right now, I don't think we are really worried about that. Uh, you know, there are a few things that uh, to highlight. One is actually in terms of the foreign reserve for China is still is still big, and that's a relative to, uh, to uh, you know. So that's really one key thing. And another thing also to really to key highlight is that a lot of the debt that uh, China have is actually a domestic uh, 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 debt. So to, that's kind of give them a more leeway to deal with the problem. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, uh, I won't say that the, the, those problems are easy to resolve because you have, uh, you know, China property is a big is a big sector and then you have LGFE, the, those loans have to be eventually resolved. So those things have to be tackled. But if you look at the rating, uh, rating uh, pressure, I don't think is, uh, is we are there yet. I think there are obviously... I know there's a few things that the uh, rating agency are monitoring. One is the whether uh, what's the more medium term uh, economy uh, uh, growth for China. That's one. Another thing that they also are monitoring quite uh, closely is how they're going to deal with the local government uh, debt problem. Yeah, and including uh, by extension also the local government financing uh, vehicle debt problem. So that too, uh, you know, these are two key factors that's eventually going to decide the sovereign rating. But in the near term, I don't think there's any pressure for now. Uh, but if those things is really deteriorate a lot from current level, yeah, yeah, obviously we have to, uh, you know, contemplate this possibility that you know that uh, could shape somewhat, uh, maybe in a you know in a in a two to twenty four month uh, time period. But but for now, I, we don't see any waiting pressure for sure. And then just to wrap up. Uh, any investment opportunities you'd like to highlight right now? The interesting part is that, you know, as much as we uh, look at all the headlines and uh, what's happening, and uh, there is also, the, the, there's a flip part of the whole thing of, uh, you know, the slowdown, and that's also related to what's been discussed by Tiffany. Uh, there is a lot of uh, US dollar deposit that's building up in the system. Yeah, a lot exporter, you are tend to, you know, still uh, uh, trying to hold on to what you have uh, rather than converting to local currency because uh, for future need or just want to, uh, you know, 
count uh, uh, that is right your 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 earnings to some degree, and that's really uh, a lot of this liquidity that's building out in the uh, financial system are flowing into the U.S. dollar bond market because there's really not much they can use it uh, in the domestic market. There's not really a, a big uh, demand for U.S. dollar loan uh, in onshore, so those uh, money are flowing into U.S. dollar bond market, and these are being channeled to buy a lot of them, uh, you know, to uh, to buy out the US, uh, China credit U.S. dollar bond. Yeah, so that's really uh, helping us to some sense. You look at in terms of valuation. Uh, despite all the headline news, the China investment grade uh, credit and a shot of the China property and AMC, uh, the other segment of the market has been very well supported because of all this demand from the commercial bank uh, uh, paper, commercial bank from onshore. So, and that uh, technical support is still going to be there. Uh, uh, and that's uh, one thing. And on the other thing also to think about because of the, on, the onshore rate is so much lower compared to offshore rate, uh, the U.S. dollar, the China corporate is not issuing U.S. dollar bond in the offshore market. And so basically you have kind of situation that the supply has kind of shrunk a lot. At the same time, the demand is still is picking up. So it, it's a become a technical, very technical driven market for the China investment credit. So there is a two. Uh, so how do we play? I think so right now I would say that it is, uh, it's difficult to pitch. Uh, you know, China single B, uh, single A credit, except you have a very bearish view on the uh, global credit market, then you are going to be, you want to be the defensive position. That segment, I think it's going to be very slim because of this technical factor I talked about. Um, and then, but outside of that, those there are certain segments that I think the credit fundamental is okay, just that the technical is less uh, supportive is will be the uh, China triple B credit. This is a space that we see opportunity and this is a space that we still think the investors should uh, look at. Uh, some of these companies, you can say, is a, a cash uh, is a net cash company, just that uh, there are some headline news and concern about China growth, but uh, at the same time, I think they are going to do okay. So those are segments that we are, we are quite comfortable with, and that will be a segment that we are, will continue to invest. Uh, China investment uh, higher will be a tough sector. I think this is one sector that people are going to take a very cautious view. Uh, right now, is uh, despite all the police measures that's been announced, I think there's still some concern. Uh, the uh, the default that we have seen have not over yet because the a lot of the measures are really targeting to uh, to kind of stimulate the uh, the demand. At the same, uh, there's not much measure that's directed to uh, really helping the. Uh, the developer to tie over the, the tight liquidity situation right now. So I think the default may still going to happen. And that's why people are going to be uh, more cautious on that side. Uh, and also that, you know, we are still waiting for some kind of resolution of those defaulted names to get the sense of how the uh, offshore bondholder will be treated. So right now, our focus is really on the, uh, you know, triple uh, B investment rate because uh, technical not so strong valuation is still reasonable. And that's the space that we see opportunity. Great. Well, thanks, Su Chung, for that update. And, and thank Tiffany and Ting Ting for joining us. And, and thank you all for tuning in to JP Morgan TV.